Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Influential You podcast. I'm Josh D'Amigo, program faculty member for Influential You and your host for this weekly podcast. At Influential You, we teach you how to take charge of your career and amplify your professional influence. Since 2009, we have helped thousands of business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs become more influential, more rewarded, and more you. Today, we welcome Laurel McClay to the Influential You podcast. Laurel McClay is an executive facilitator and coach specializing in helping teams in tech, engineering, and science work smarter together. And her first book, Lead Generation, 21st Century Strategies to Ignite Your Sales, is available for purchase on her website, laurelmcclay.com. Thank you for joining me and welcoming Laurel McClay to the Influential You podcast. Laurel, this is really fun for me because we have been able to you know, teach together a little bit in the fundamentals of transaction, and now we're kicking Marnie out, and it's just the two of us. So welcome to the podcast. Morena, Josh, absolutely. Thank you so much. I've been really looking forward to this. <laughs> Not as much as me. I am so excited to see you, and I, <laughs> I, I'm also recognizing that today is the winter solstice, so it is the shortest day of the year for me on this side of the world and the longest day of the year for you on your side of the world. So what a wonderful world we're finding ourselves in. Now, before we get into everything, Isn't it right? <laughs> for our listeners and viewers, will you explain your specific offer in the marketplace? Sure. Thanks, Josh. Well, I've always had a soft spot for engineers. I think my dear old late dad, he worked in tech and TV broadcasting, and I just loved the way his mind thought. And then my first job at university, I was a recruiter and I recruited engineers, civil, structural, people who built bridges in places like Papua New Guinea and Hong Kong. And I really think they're so clever, but boy, they think differently. They think so differently to someone like you or me. And so now what I do is I work with teams and I've extended that to tech and science as well and really help them understand how to work with others, but just as importantly, how others can understand how to work with them. That's the first part. And I work at an individual and also a team level. But the other thing I really, really love is career coaching. And so I'm working with individuals to, let, to really get clear on what they like, and that's understanding their natural preferences, what they value, and also what they know. So having a really good look at their resources and helping them to create a career plan and often that involves a transition, you know, something where they can jump and lily pad from one place to another. Hmm. That's, it's really it's very clear. But the, for some listeners, the idea of an idealist may be a new concept. Can you tell me more about what you mean when you say that you're a recovering idealist or, or what an idealist might be? I think we talk in the psychology quite a lot about magical thinking. And I don't want to bag it because I think there is some real validity to magical thinking. But I was involved for quite a long time, and it was a wonderful time in my life, with a coaching uh, ecology where it was all about aim really, really high. So we had this interesting mantra, which was, don't let the how get in the way of possibility. In mm. fact, we said, how is the death knell to possibility? Now, look, I understand that, but... I now know as ambitious adults, we make plans and move strategically and tactically to satisfy our conditions of life. We needed to make plans. And I was, okay, here's, here's one for me. I wanted, I think I was in my early 30s, I wanted to make $40 million by the time I was 40 years old. Now, 
I don't doubt that I could have done that, but what would it have taken? And maybe I could have started with, I'd like to make my first 40,000, then 200,000. And so really, I think in a way, it was a form of sabotage because it was so out there and idealistic that there was probably no chance of me ever getting it in my head. And so I got to still play a little bit safe and a little bit small. Wow, that's so fun. Now, I'm, I'm going to go off script a little bit because I just want it to be you no and me worries. for a second. <laughs> Where, whereabouts are you? Like, you're in New Zealand, correct? Yeah, I live in Otipoti, which is Dunedin, right down at the bottom of the South Island. It's been so cold, so much for our longest day of the year. So I moved back home about four years ago. I used to live in Auckland up with Drew and all the other wonderful people in our, in our ecology. So, yes, now I live right down at the bottom. That is so close to the water. Is that what I'm hearing? You, you have a little bit of a coast. I'm on the coast, yes. In fact, I grew up in a place called St. Clair, which is right on the beach. But I'm now living just a little bit in the hills, a little in the hills. Well, the more and more I hear about New Zealand, the more and more I think we are just kindred spirits in Ventura, because I don't know if I could live outside of the beach. <laughs> I think I think I feel exactly the same hearing about what you and John talk about with Ventura as well. Well, tell me a little bit about what life was like before Influential You. I mean, take me back to maybe you had a a meeting with Drew, or I don't know how you got involved, but tell me a little bit about like, what was your world like? Cause you were an executive coach before uh, all, all mm -hmm. of this with us. So tell me what, what that world was. Well, I, I had a wonderful world prior to Influential You, and I am one of those, I would say, course junkies. And so I have spent so much money on professional and personal development, but I had a story from my childhood, which I think I really used to play out. And and when I was about 10 or 11, I over-practiced for a piano exam. And, and when I went into the exam, I lost my place. And I was trying to get back to where I was. But looking up at the script, it might as well have been Arabic because I'd over-practiced it. And then when I got my result, I still passed, but I wasn't that, you know, I didn't do very well. And I remember my father saying to me, you didn't try hard enough. Mm. And I think I created that that kind of pattern in my head that it, was, it doesn't matter how much I try it's never enough and I'll never actually get the result so I did some really powerful training some really powerful courses but I wasn't getting the results I met Drew interestingly enough years ago we met through a completely different set of circumstances and then it just didn't nothing kind of eventuated from it and then uh, nearly three years ago I met Drew and this was really right smack bang down on um, lockdown with us with everybody else in the world and what I realized was that it gave me the plan and it really helped me turn intentions into commitments. So for as an example, Josh, I've always been meaning to get a dog, never got around to getting a dog, got the dog, always been meaning to just get out there and do something else sports-wise that I love. Since influence to you, I've gone and become into rowing, which I absolutely love. And I think a key difference for me, I'm an identical twin, you know that, you've met my sister Josie, and I think, good grief, I had to share a womb with somebody, right? You know, it's just been, I've always grown up with someone beside me. Now, I love that, but I had this real desire to do things on my own, and I just think about that first conversation I had with Drew, where Drew helped me to put a proposal and contract together for a wonderful client I've got, that in itself paid for my fundamental transaction tuition and now I am working with working with other people and it's such a joy whereas beforehand I used to just do that whole I can do this on my own and guess what 
I wasn't getting the results. And and your your puppy's name? Winter. My little King Charles Cavalier. He's beautiful. Ross has got one too. We noticed that the other day, Ross couldn't. We've both got little little cavaliers in the background. And he's such a joy. He is such a joy. But I think it's that big thing is is, you know, we just keep on wanting to get around to things, especially after doing priority and practice. Now I just make things happen. And and it's so much easier. You know, mm. I think with that whole you never tried hard enough, I was frenetically trying very hard, not necessarily in a way that was going to get me results. Now I feel like things are just so much more relaxed. I mean, let me count the ways, Josh. So many, but anyway, I'm gonna let you ask the questions and then we can maybe <laughs> hone in on hone in on one or two conditions of life. You're so sweet. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, here here's something that I think aligns with that. You you said that you had aims, but maybe they weren't necessarily realistic. And and that sounds like it was something that was um, uh, kind of before influential you. And tell me a little bit more, because I know a lot of people say something like, you know, shoot for the moon, you'll land mm -hmm. in the clouds. They, they say, have a big, hairy, yeah. audacious goal. And then people are, I've said it a lot this way, is that you hit, you, you shoot for a mark and we teach people to shoot for a mark and, and hit it, shoot for a mark yeah, and hit it. Absolutely. But a lot of people shoot for a mark and kind of well, we had a lot of fun along the way. Was that mm. kind of what it was like for you? Tell yeah. me a little bit about Absolute, that. Absolutely. I mean, the amount of projects I've started and not finished, because you and I, we're performers, but I'm definitely leaning inventor. Are you leaning inventor too, Josh? Uh, maybe. I, I don't know. The jury's still out. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. So I would think, oh, I've got this great new idea. Okay. I had, I had this. My ex-husband owned a box company. And so I thought, let me create a pet coffin business. And we had the best name in the world for our pet coffin business. Do you want to hear it? Okay. Four feet under. Say it one more time. It is four feet, four feet under. Isn't okay. four feet under just the best name for a coffin company? And Absolutely. so I I managed to get onto your you know, the, the local version of Shark Tank, got completely humiliated, by the way, was oh. all excited, got someone working with me, and then I just let it go. I didn't get round to doing it, and I wasn't thinking accurately about what it was going to what it was gonna take from me. And by the way, I got pregnant with my first son, so that kind of threw things in the work. But that is probably when you talk about aims, is that I was so ready to talk myself out of anything. As a performance, we can talk ourselves in and out of anything. And I just didn't stick to stuff long enough. Yeah, it sounds like a, a lot of the issues that performers have when we're not moving transactionally. And and I'm 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 moving to train people to to speak at, at it this way. I may be a performer, so I may struggle with this. But if I move transactionally, I don't struggle with that. So it's usually when I'm a performer that's not moving transactionally that I start to have the problems. And what we find is that we struggle with the difference between intentions and commitments or another Absolutely. way of saying it is really going from that. Uh, when we're looking at the transaction cycle, that present move into that phase of contract and, and we shy away from the contract. Was that something that you learned about yourself in the fundamentals of transaction program? Well, actually beforehand. So remember mm -hmm. when I mentioned to you that conversation I had with Drew and yeah. so I, I, I like customer intimacy. I'm really only working with a couple of clients who I adore and we have such a meeting of the minds and I feel so completely fulfilled with working with them. But we were probably in one of these clients, we we're probably a little bit, not loosey goosey, but we didn't have commitments and, and contracts signed up. And so with Drew, I realized that I needed to get really clear on what I was offering, 
what I was expecting in return, what they could expect in return, what our measurement of success was. So I created, you know, this was literally in a half hour call that we created a, a template, which I use to this very day. And one thing that I love and my clients love and their people love is promises. So for example, we were, I was working with a health and safety team last week and they, they've been through quite a few managers and we were trying to get them back on track. They're in an engineering company. And we ended up creating some promises for this team and they read them out and we've gone and got them framed and they've signed them. And I think sometimes we as performers think that commitments and contracts sounds a little bit, a, a little bit dry, but I love promises and making promises, promises in all parts of my life now has really shifted things incredibly. Yeah. And, and I'm, uh, I, sometimes it's confronting that contract and I don't like the rub. I have to mm. take a few slow, deep breaths to kind of, okay, I'm going to move to confront these people to let them know that I hold contracts very seriously. If I say right. I'm going to do something, the time for consideration is over. I am now moving. And is that something that you also move? Is that something that you also do since learning in the program or something you did before? No, I didn't really do it before. And like I say, I'm doing that in all sorts of in all sorts of areas of my life. And yeah, absolutely. And I think what happens is sometimes people can say, oh, look, don't worry about that. I'm a kind of gentleman's handshake kind of person. But if you insist and follow through, then they ultimately see the value of that. And they see how it protects both of us. And, you know, we know about contracts. Contracts are only there to be used if something goes awry. And so in most instances, it's just the clarity. And so there's nothing to be scared about. Mm, I love that. Well, you get into the program. You're now studying in the program. You, you did the fundamentals of transaction. Tell me a little bit. And you also did mechanics and practice and mechanics and practice two is where you're currently studying. I'm starting, I'm starting uh, mechanics and practice two next month. Yes, I, I had a year off. Which I, no, I, well, I, I'm really pleased. I thought accurately <laughs> about my commitment. And I took a year off, and now I'm so ready. I'm already reading the the um, the prerequisite material. You're gonna love it. You're gonna yeah. love it. Get ready. This is the really wait. fun one. So, what what I'll ask you then is, what did you learn? Tell me some of the things that you gathered from your studies with us in fundamentals of transaction. Maybe maybe start there, and then we'll move to mechanics and practice. The absolute showstopper for me, as far as fundamentals of transaction which made me feel like I was in the matrix was the concept of the current. The concept that there is a predominant narrative which, which we all get swept along with without even realizing. Now that might be what you eat, how you work, how you do relationships, how you exercise, everything. If you think of all the conditions of life, there are some narratives that we are so, well, I shouldn't say we, but me personally was so swept up in that I didn't understand that I kind of wasn't thinking for myself. Hmm. And it's when we see that, yeah, reading that book, Influence, and when we see how people use that to manipulate us, and I don't want to sound too dramatic, but that was so liberating because I might be in a situation where someone was, using a lever of influence on me and they were really relying on the current. They might not have even realized they were doing that. They were relying on the current for me to comply. And it's like, hang on, I don't want this. 
And I felt okay about that. So probably another thing for me as a, I call myself also a recovering drama queen and a recovering people pleaser, Josh. Yeah. But one thing that it really taught me was to say no. Yeah. And now that is a really good thing because I was talking with someone about that today. Why say no? What does saying no do? I think, for example, I used to do a lot more one-on-one coaching and <laughs> and I wasn't very explicit about why I was catching up with people. So I would catch up with someone to have a conversation about potentially doing some work with me and they would share their challenges and I would give them some coaching and then I would say, hey, should we catch up again? And then I might ask them something a little watery about some kind of commitment and they'd ignore that. And then I'd catch up with them again. And really, they, again, didn't realize it was me not keeping my boundaries in place. But it was about me not saying no to somebody who they probably thought I was their friend. And I was their friend to a certain extent. But when I'm thinking accurately about the limited capacity I have in my day, plus having two teenage boys, you know, it is really good for me to say no to the things that don't forward my aims. And also that, I mean, obviously there is ways that I could support them. Uh, You know, it's not like it's all about my aims. But that was a real uh, ground shifting concept for me. Yeah, and and I'll I'll add this because I think it's so so good for those people that find themselves in a constructivist mindset or that performer personality that tend to go along and want everybody to get along and 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 really cheer mm. for people. Uh, we have a hard time saying no because we don't want to disappoint people. But our yeah. authority comes from what we say no to, and many times that authority is not something that we yield quite often. And we have to, if we're going to get some of our aims, if we're going to be able to give that energy to the people that we care about. And for me, that's one of the biggest lessons that I've learned about that word. No, that is so hard. But my mom mm. will tell you, I, I had no problem saying it when I was really little. But <laughs> somehow so you you learned this and now you're, what's life like now? Tell me a little bit about your world now. What What is going on with you after studying with us and I know that you're a teacher, you're an author, you're a speaker, you're training to be on faculty. How is all of this manifesting in the in the ways that you move in the world? Sure. So firstly, with career, as I already mentioned, I'm working with others. And there is someone else in the ecology who actually introduced me to the ecology. And we have been talking about working together for ages. And finally, we're saying, hey, we're in a situation we might both be able to, and we've got very good skills across the transaction cycle. But we said the first thing we're going to do is we're going to check in and make and share what our aims are, because that's the first thing, if you're looking at the 13 steps, right, is we need to articulate our aims. So we're doing that, and then we are going to apply the 13 steps to creating something that, that uses both our skill sets. And I'm so super excited about it. As I mentioned to you already, I'm working with a couple of clients and I work very deeply with them and I really love working with them and they respect me and I respect them. And when I'm hearing so many challenges with people working with a so-called toxic environment or they've got a a boss or a peer that just treats them really badly, I just feel so privileged to be with people where we get together and we spark and I look forward to it. And so I think career, oh yes, and earning more than I have prior um, that is that is one thing. Money. I have purchased a townhouse off the plans. In fact, 
as I said to you, a little recovering drama queen in me, I found out last night that the code of compliance has been issued. And I'm like, oh my goodness, no, no, that's the wrong time of year. Because, you know, in New Zealand, Josh, everything closes down for a month, right? We, yeah. we just go to the beach for December and late December and January. But I've worked that through. But I know that I don't have anyone else to look after me in my old age. And so not only am I earning more, but I also have a really sound property plan. Again, intentions. I always intended to do something about my future. Never got round to it. Health. Wow. Uh, so I'm walking my dog daily. And I used to think that was enough exercise. But my brother and I keep each other honest and we go swimming three times a week and we oh. swim a kilometre each time. I'm also, as I mentioned, rowing, which I never would have done if I hadn't read the book that was prescribed and fundamental transaction and gone and given it a go. And also in relationships. So I, my uh, husband and I split up nearly seven years ago and I was happily single for six years. And then about... Uh, just over a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, I decided to get back onto the dating scene. And I've moved town since then, right? Now, something as a breakdown, which is, is really confronting for me, is that some people might notice who are watching that my face is slightly asymmetrical. I underwent some really severe neurosurgery about two and a half years ago. In fact, <laughs> right during Fundamental Transaction, it was great to connect and agree commitments with Marnie that I was going to be getting this rather intensive surgery uh, the fundamental sort of transaction actually really helped me be distracted, which was great. And so for me, getting out there and having some accurate thinking about turning up to meet potential new partners um, with, this, you know, with a face that wasn't normal, you know, um, was confronting. But good old Drew, Drew and I, we 13-stepped uh, my project for internet dating and, and things like specialised knowledge. I went and actually look at what sort of photos should I use? How do I keep the brief? And so I had so much fun out there dating. And as a performer, you know, we, we are kind of naturally good at this, aren't we? Because let's face it, number one rule for internet dating, ask them lots of questions. Wow. And so I have since met, very early on actually, I met someone who we shall call a professor, and he's a judge. Boy, I would never have looked at him twice if I hadn't done this program because those judgy things that people do, I mean, it can be really off-putting, but I'm starting to understand him. And we have a really, we have a really, I would say, satisfactory relationship, but we're both so busy. And I think back in the past, I wanted the white picket fence and the mortgage, well, actually I had that, and the kids, whereas now we both have extremely busy lives. But when we see each other, we're with each other and we've mm. created that in a way that works for us. And I find mm. that so fulfilling. I love all of this. I'm going to ask you a couple more, but if you're just joining us, I'm talking with Laurel McClay on the Influential You podcast. She's out of New Zealand. And what was the name of the city again, Laurel? Dunedin. There's one in Florida as well. Not to be, not to be confused with the Dunedin in Florida. There is a Dunedin in New Zealand. Okay, so if you're going to send her packages, make sure it's to New Zealand and not Florida. And also, <laughs> you can get her new book uh, or her, her latest book on laurelmcclay.com. And I please support her if you like what you're hearing because she is wonderful and you will absolutely enjoy her. I haven't read it yet, but I'm sure she's bringing me a copy when she comes to visit me. For Surely. The- I will bring you a copy next month when I see you. <laughs> Very good. Well, back to the interview. What I, what I really want to say is this. That Disney has kind of ruined me in a lot of ways in the sense of I'm just supposed to magically appear or have some sort of love fall out of the sky. And what I just heard you say is you planned for this. Mm, and absolutely. 
explain how that works in a mind like ours where we are all about feelings and emotions like was was there any friction there is that is that odd was it tell me a little bit about that it's so funny you blame disney because i constantly say i blame cinderella you know i as i was growing up all i wanted to do was live happily ever after and i have to say that i felt I felt like completely excluded because I wasn't in a relationship. I talk about my 20s where I was reliably single. And I think whenever I met someone, I'd just be so excited that someone actually liked me that I'd be writing my signature with their last name the day after our first date, you know, honestly. And so I had such a huge expectation on what a relationship was. And yes, you say emotional, but it wasn't just that. I thought that someone in a relationship would fulfill my emotional needs, my physical needs, my social needs. I wanted to throw everything into it, but that kind of scared people away. And so I think that the best thing for me in terms of relationship was that I spent six years happily single. Funny, I went to Bali by myself. I did a complete eat, pray, love for my 50th birthday. <laughs> and I remember sitting in Ubud in this, brec- in this breakfast place. And, and I was so concerned about living by myself, sitting there by myself. And then I, I had a conversation with someone else who was sitting there by herself. And she said, look at yourself, enjoy it. Everyone else is probably having arguments. And I thought, yeah, hang on. Those people over there are really annoyed with their children. Those two aren't hardly talking to each other. And I used to feel like the lucky one. I felt like the lucky one being single. And that was, you know, the cliche, Josh, we need to have a relationship with ourselves. So I Mm. feel when I am full and complete and I'm not looking at anything from a partner to, to, to fill something up or create a hole, it's enhancing. And that's the same for them too. I, I love all of this because I, I know that you're passionate about this and in the pre-show notes and some of the conversations we had, relationships kept coming up and, and I can't wait to, to talk to you more about it. But it's it's funny for me because it's so front of mind for so many people. I need to get in a relationship. I need to do it quickly. I, yeah. And then you, you hear the you hear the Mr. Right, not Mr. Right now, like a, a lot of the cliches mm. and things mm. like that. Tell me a little bit of, of what transactional competence has done for you in relationships uh, to, to what extent that you're comfortable talking about. Sure, absolutely. Well, I'd like to take a step back. And this was prior to me doing uh, Influential You, but there was one of the steps that we used. So when my uh, ex-husband and I decided to split about seven years ago, I was absolutely upset. I was going to have to leave the house with the white picket fence. Uh, we just painted it. And I was in a, you know, we were in a really um, wonderful community and neighborhood. And so I ended up engaging a relationship coach. Both of us did. And she helped us to see that we did not need to split and leave the house together, right? Because there wasn't like someone had betrayed the other one there was no um you know walking on eggshells we just outgrew each other and so we lived I would say harmoniously for three and a half years and I think Jeff would too and we lived in separate rooms and guess what we we pulled up agreements as well as to what we could do and what we couldn't do and then and then in fact the press went nuts on it because if you google my name you'll see it so so I called him my husband and I was his wife and it was this whole concept which is now breaking the norms, smashing through that current about how you can live. And it was great for the kids. So the kids were five and eight when we split. 
by the time we moved into separate houses, which, by the way, involved the move back down here to Dunedin, both of us did, cheaper houses, so we could both afford to buy separate separate dwellings, two kilometres away from each other, uh, the kids were 8 and 11. And I think that that is so good about looking at all your conditions of life. And when I was looking at I like to call myself, I've, I've created a condition of life called parenting, Josh. And... Um, and so that worked really well. And so that's really what I think is so important in relationships is who says you need to split up with your partner? I've had I've had people ring me from the press or email me over the last five years since it was, and they're saying, hey, look, I've seen that article and and just been helping walking them through it because there is so much trauma involved in a breakup. Yeah, it's it's very difficult, and it and it doesn't necessarily mm. need to be. I mean, and, and it, it now yeah. not in all situations, but I, I love that, and I love that that worked for you guys. Um, now, when it comes to kind of a soapbox moment, when it comes to kind of like a hey, I would stand up on a soapbox and scream this. We like to give our guests, yeah. you know, that moment, and uh, you have a you have a, a a few. So I'm I'm excited to hear what what you're doing and, and what your brain's doing with that. Well. I think I have one soapbox that, well, one topic that I really love to share about with the soapbox analogy, and that is being unapologetically you. There are so many of us, and I think this is why the current just so, so resonated with me, because I've been talking about this for a few years, which is live the life that works for you, not the one that you think you should do, because your father has told you because you're in the certain crowd. I mean, I know someone who was doing a med degree and finished it. Uh, she, she dropped out after four years to pursue a career in broadcasting. I know someone else who um, studied to be a lawyer in their 50s. And that's the big thing for me when I'm doing the career coaching is why are people tolerating a job that they don't like? Why are they tolerating a relationship that they don't like? But the key thing to this, and this is where influential you fits in so well, is the first thing is look at what you're tolerating. And actually, you can download a tolerations matrix from my website where I where I ask questions on the key areas of life. And you look at what you're tolerating. So that's an inventory. And then you need to have your aim. You need to work out what you want and get help if you are unclear. And then the key thing is, as we've already talked about, turn those intentions into commitments. Because we all know the people who are talking about writing the book, talking about starting up the company, talking about selling everything up and traveling. Well, you and I both know people who've done that, but they haven't done it by, I mean, you know, the win I win lotto. No, why don't we just create a plan to fund that? And there are so many different ways we do it, but we can't do it on our own. And that is my soapbox. I love that. And I'm thinking of a quote, and I'm not sure where it comes from, but ugly progress is better than pretty plans. I tell you, I love it. Yeah. Just, sometimes, hey, we've got to move. <laughs> it's not going to be pretty, but we got to keep moving. We got to keep going forward. And something Kirkland Tibbles said to me the other day was something to the extent of, uh, you know, uh, his, his grandma said, you know, it sounds like you're on the right path. You better start moving. You're going to get hit by a truck. And you find really quickly that that more often than not, people start to move in ways during our programs that they may not move otherwise. And, you know, it's the end of the year. Things are coming up next year. If you had one thing to say to somebody that's kind of on the edge and you're like, hey, fundamentals of transaction, 2023, what, what would you say to them? 
Well, I think one of the distinctions that really helps with what your grandmother said <laughs> is measuring activity versus results. And I remember when I was working with Marnie to work out what my aims were during the fundamentals of the transaction. And I've already mentioned that this was quite an unknown for me because I was going through this huge surgery with a two-month recovery. And so Marnie helped me to see that measuring activity was the way to get the access. And you can't see my office now. It's not that bad, but um, when I did priority in practice, I had a confrontingly messy office because it's just that spare room that you throw everything into. And what I worked out with money was work for 30 minutes twice a week on being in the office. And, you know, it just magically, it just magically happened that the office became clean. And so I think that we, we, yeah, the ugly progress is just do something, but, you know, not randomly anything, but be clear on what activity it requires. We've had, I mean, being part of faculty and I feel so privileged, especially to hang out with people like you. But when Kirkland and John are both talking about reaching out and making invitations, how many people don't get around to making invitations? And if we want to grow our business and we want to share what on earth we can do to support other people around us, then we have got to make invitations. But we've got to find ways of holding ourselves accountable to be able to actually do that. And that's where the activity tracking comes in so handy for me. I mean, with fundamental transaction, I would say it is rigorous. It's not for everyone. And we say that within this ecology right because we have a application process and that's not being like tossy about it it's just we don't want people to fail and but if you are looking for something that is going to help you and you've tried so many different other things and you haven't got the results this for me has been such a return on investment tenfold a hundredfold I don't know but the more thing about it is my level of fulfillment the satisfaction and contentment and just feeling really great about my life because I've attended to all my different transit conditions of life. That's so great. It, you know, it, it, it brings me back to something you said earlier, and I hope it's okay that I asked this because in the sure. chat, uh, there's something that popped up and it, the courage to share about uh, the, the surgery and what happened with your face. When you started talking about it and you started working with Drew and, and, and Marnie, how did that help you? Because I think that that is a really beautiful story. And I'm sure that that could touch a lot of people if you're open to speaking about it. Absolutely. Well, I think what's interesting is I used to be a media commentator. So I used to be on TV a lot. And that was fun. And what the condition was that I got fixed was that I had a twitch. So instead of having a, a kind of slightly paralyzed face, it would be twitching like this. And mm. so I... I think when I used to see myself on video, it used to make me really quite confronted. I've just actually put on LinkedIn, if someone wants to go to my LinkedIn, I've, I've done a little blog where I speak to camera about exactly this, because what I got to see is rather than trying to be, what am I saying? I'm saying being unapologetically you. And I think we are obsessed, Josh, with symmetry. We are obsessed with people looking a certain way. And mm -hmm. the news presenters and the actors, they're all looking a certain way. And yeah, sure, we've come a long way with race and gender and maybe age, but we still like to aspire to be with people who look like us. And so I'm now like absolutely embracing the wonky face and saying, this is me. And, and you know, why the hell should I 
uh, want to be perfect and symmetrical. It's very boring. And it's a story. It's a story that I've got about my weird little arteries and nerves in the back of my head, which I can share with someone sometime. And I just think we have such an obsession with perfection and that is the current. And let's challenge that by just being comfortable with who we are. Ugh. I don't, I don't think there's a, I'm not going to cry. You're crying. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Laurel. That is, you are such a gift and, and thank you for being on the podcast. Um, I'm going to move to close and and just want to say thank you so much. Please stick around. I'll I'll talk to you after the show. All right. Sure. Oh, well that's Laurel McClay and, and, and I am just so moved by her. There are so many wonderful tidbits in there and and I hope that you take some time and, and, and listen again there. It's, it's, so impressive to me when we have people that come to us that are already living great lives and then they still rave about the programs and how much that's still getting better. This is a program built for ambitious business professionals. And we, we really do. We're not, we're not a self-help group. We're here to help ambitious professionals do even more. So if you'd like to know more about us, I invite you to go to influentiallyyou.global and explore our courses, consulting, and conferences. We offer a four-year curriculum for those seeking an advanced experience. However, if you're new to the Influential You uh, podcast, we recommend that you start with Thrive. It's our self-guided training. Thrive is a self-guided program that allows you to learn at your own pace. Thrive members enjoy weekly live e-coaching sessions and an ever-expanding library of exclusive video lessons with our faculty, thought leaders, and industry experts. You'll get proven proprietary tools to accurately assess your career and develop a realistic strategy to achieve your aims even faster. Your membership also includes chat access to the faculty plus discounts to our transformative conferences, the one that you'll see Laurel and I will be at, and I definitely am taking a selfie with her. Sign up today and you can use the promo code 20OFF for a 20% discount on the Thrive program. That's 20OFF for the 20% discount on the monthly subscription. Once again, 20 off. This is the last episode of the 2022 season of the Influential You podcast. I look forward to starting the new season in January with one of our faculty members, Ross Clennett. He's a specialist when it comes to career. And if you're looking to up your career in 2023, you won't want to miss that. So we hope you'll join us for a new season. Thank you so much for listening to us today. Each week we stream live at 2 p.m. Pacific on our website, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube so you can easily share this podcast with others. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or any place that you get quality podcasts. Check out our show notes for links to connect with Laurel or links to websites, books, or special downloads that we talked about on today's episode. This podcast is made possible by the Influential You staff, faculty, and members all around the world, with a special thanks to our executive producer, Tyson Crandall, and contributions from Michael Teehee, Joey Anderley, Daryl Anderley, Paul West, Liz Smiley, John Patterson, and a special guest to, and a special thanks to our guest, Laurel McClay. I also want to say a special thanks for myself. Thank you, Michael Teehee, for being behind the scenes, behind the box all year. You have done a fantastic job, and I love working with you. The Influential You podcast is produced by Influence Ecology, LLC in Ventura, California. This episode was recorded on December 21st, 2022. The podcast theme is by Chris Standring and titled Fast Trained Everywhere. And if you haven't yet offered a rating or review, 
I ask that you take a moment, go to iTunes or your podcast app and let us know what you think. This helps us more than you know. And we'll see you next year on the Influential You podcast.